And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 257 of This Old Marketing, recorded Thursday, February 4th, 2021. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who definitely doesn't have a my pillow, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> you know, I don't have a, a my. Do you have a my pillow? I I do not have a my pillow, and will not have a my pillow for sure. Not because of anything else, but just I have no desire to have a my pillow. I don't either. But you know, I have heard I have a friend that had a my pillow and swore by it. And this is back a couple of years ago, but we went on a golf trip, and he took his my pillow with him. And left it at the hotel, and Oops, was devastated about it. Almost to the point where we were, uh, we were sixty miles outside of the hotel, heading down to golf. Don't you get like seven of them when you like order one though? Don't you get like uh, like a six pack or whatever? I don't know how the cult works exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't know how it works exactly. Uh, but uh, but I hear it's a quality product. Okay. <laughs> So I have—I don't know. I have no yeah. idea. I've heard—I've heard good things up to the past year, and then I've heard not so good things. But it's still about the product. The product is no about the well the, the CEO. Okay. But the product right. and the way that it's sold <clears throat> would swarmy be a thing? I don't know. Yeah. Swarmy would be a thing. Is yeah. it? All I know well, is it's my a friend Mark it's a lesson. swore by this pillow. And said yeah. he could he could barely sleep the whole trip because he didn't have his pillow. It's like not having your teddy bear. I see. We still joke with him about it because we think that you know next time we go on our golf trip we're gonna whenever that is we should stop down and see if it's still at the hotel. Maybe it's in lost and found. Maybe there. Well, I mean, goodness gracious, it's nineteen dollars or something like that. I think the my pillow cost. You just get a new one. I mean, they're they're almost disposable. I, I suspect. A disposable pillow. Like what? Like that's yeah. almost like disposable contacts. Like you, you buy yeah. You you buy twelve pillows for a year, and you use one a month, kind of thing. And when you don't, you're not grooving with it anymore. You just pitch it. There was a friend of mine who did that for underwear when they traveled. They they basically look every business trip they would take. I'm not going to say who it is, but you and I both know this person. <laughs> they would they 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 would have underwear, and they would buy like a. You know, if they were going to be gone for a week, they'd buy a six pack of underwear, wear it on the trip, and leave it. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I don't know what to say about that other than it happened. Well, have you ever read Jack, uh, Lee Child's series Jack Reacher? We've yeah, talked about this I have. before. Yeah, yeah. I have. So yeah, you sure. know that character. That character only carries a toothbrush with him, and he goes into right. whatever store he can get clothes at, and he throws his the clothes he has on, and he puts new ones on, and wears them for a couple right. days. That's it. That's how he, I yeah. mean, talk about minimalism. That's really minimalist. Yeah. I mean, and he doesn't even have toothpaste because he doesn't. He he believes uh, the toothpaste was kind of like a, a capitalistic uh, joke. Or, right. Yeah. He's like, yeah. it doesn't yeah, do yeah. anything. You just need water. That's right. So what? Yeah. Well, we've we have we have successfully, my friend, moved from my pillow. To Jack Reacher. That is something that I'll bet you didn't figure you were going to do today. But this is not really a media marketing show anymore. It's just about whatever comes into our heads, which is well, that's rather true. that's silly and probably not interesting. 
But people That's true. Still Who you got in the Super Bowl? I don't know why. Who you got in the Super Bowl? Oh, Super Bowl. That's coming up this weekend. Oh, I. You know what? I'm. A lot of people aren't going to like this, but I think I'm going with Old Man Brady. Of course, I'm. I'm right there with you. I. You know. You. You gotta. Because you gotta. Even. I th- and I, I actually don't think he's going to play that well, but I still think they're going to win. They're going to find a way to win. That said, I love Mahomes. He is oh, he's amazing. fantastic. He's the future. He's the future. But all of the history that would be bookended with Brady, it would be, you know, winning his seventh would be unbelievable. Player of the game. Here's my prediction. Okay. Well, look, look, let's... Brady, if, if Brady wins, Brady's going to get the MVP of the game. It, it's that's how it's going to work. But for my <laughs> money, you're going to go. You're going to look back on this one and say, "Who's the player of the game?" Rob Gronkowski. <clears throat> oh, I would take that bet. Who do you think it's going to be? Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be. Well, I, again, if he if they win, it's Brady. Right. Yes. If they win, it's going to be. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. So it's always the quarterback. So, it seems to be the quarterback. Right. Yeah. And I think if they if the Chiefs win, it's not actually going to be Mahomes. It's going to be like Travis Kelsey or somebody like that. Kelsey Hill or you know or Hill yeah. somebody like that. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it, it could be. I, but I think it's going to be something like he catches a very important. He's he's already had a touchdown. Gronkowski. He's going to catch a very important one late in the game. And it's going to be looked back on, and then he's going to hang it up and, and go do Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. The Gronk. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, we, we, have, uh, we have lots of. There's good. so much media news, news to cover and this, is this timely. week. My, yeah, this is timely news. We've got pretty much breaking. It broke actually last night. Um, and uh, But we're going to cover it obviously today because we're not like CBS this evening or anything. <laughs> so if we're, only we're, right. you know, yeah. you live on our timeline. We don't live in yours. Um, okay. The headline dun, dun, dun is HubSpot is acquiring the hustle. Here we go. As we talked about, as we have been talking about HubSpot, the article opens up. And by the way, this is coming from Axios, uh, a publicly and a scoop from Axios when this uh, hit yesterday. Uh, HubSpot, a publicly traded sales and marketing software company, uh, is acquiring The Hustle, an email newsletter and content company targeted at entrepreneurs and small business owners. Sources tell Axios the deal is expected to close next week, which is, by the way, blazingly fast. Yes. So, uh, so they've been HubSpot, working on this for a while. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, exactly. This is not this is not new news for them. This is new news for us. HubSpot has long invested in using content to help educate its existing and potential customers about business trends, primarily through its web blog. The deal will help it double down on that effort. The Hustle's daily business newsletter has more than 1.5 million subscribers. The deal could also help HubSpot generate leads to acquire more customers without having to pay for lots of ads on Google and Facebook. There should be a term for that idea. Um, the deal is roughly valued at $27 million, a source familiar with the terms tell Axios. And then it goes on to talk about, uh, you know, a HubSpot a little bit and the hustle a little bit. And, uh, well, here we go, Joe. What do you think? I mean, this is this is software company acquiring media company, just like we talked about. Yeah, it's uh, it, I've, I've been tw- a tweeting frenzy today. And I like one yeah, of my tweets exactly. is 100 technology CEOs woke up this morning searching out media companies to buy. <laughs> This one, yep. and then of course, 
you know, we've been talking about, I mean, we've talked about Penn National uh, buying Barstool, MailChimp buying Courier, HubSpot now buys The Hustle. These are, it's starting to get quicker in between. Yeah, exactly. Big purchases. So that. Um, Wyndham Hotels buying Travel and Leisure that's Magazine. Right, yeah. uh, this is this is a no-brainer. We've been talking about this stuff for a while. Just a couple things on the details. First of all, uh, my friend Simon Owens said that per month, HubSpot already has seven million people look at their content. So, so there. I mean, we've HubSpot started as a media company with a, and a lot of people would say honestly, a lackluster product. The product's gotten much better since they started, but they really became a media company, built a loyal audience, then did the product thing. That's exactly what The Hustle did, by the way. The Hustle started out as, and still is, an email newsletter, 1.5 million, as you talked about, really good e-newsletter, really loyal following. And a few years ago, they launched a product called Trends, which is like an analysis tool for entrepreneurs. And then doing some detail into the you know you said 27 million that's been contested already this morning by at least one of the investors in the hustle and what i could make out and this is from jacob donnelly at a media operator he is estimating that revenues from the news newsletter business for the hustle anywhere between six and nine million dollars a year add on another two million or so for their product trends so you know you're looking at you know eight to eleven million dollar business and he thinks it's between a 30 to 41 or so million dollar deal. Now, my take is the 27 million might be right and that and that's just the upfront. And then you've got another 50% on the back end, let's say. Maybe, depending Maybe. on. Yeah, I mean you're going they're going to there is an earnout. There's no doubt oh, about Oh, for sure there's an earnout. Yeah, for sure there's an earnout. I mean, Honestly, the breakout of revenue in that in what you just read out sounds like another company that I'm <laughs> intimately more familiar with. <laughs> cough, cough. Yes, and <laughs> you know, and and I know what the numbers were there, and you know, so that would lead me to believe that the 27 is much more correct, and that there's an earnout involved. You know, the only reason why I think that it's more than 27 significantly more is because the multiples have gone up in the last five years significantly gone up because if you look at what morning brew got purchased for what was that well, that deal was 100 million i think the numbers yes. were way off the charts from a rev i think the revenue their number was what a three point some time revenue number um so you know the 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 multiples have gone up from two times revenue to even a growing media business to over three times. So there's, it's just interesting. The the whole point is, and we could talk about numbers all day long. The fact is, is that this is a thing. You're going to have more and more companies like HubSpot go out and buy media companies, small niche uh, content companies. That's going to happen. Um, Kudos to The Hustle for doing this. Uh, you, You... you uh, motivate a lot of content creators out there to say, hey, let's just stop messing around with content creation and let's actually build a sustainable business that we can have a positive exit strategy down the road. That's right. So I would imagine that you have a ton, especially HubSpot competitors. They're looking at this like, oh my goodness, are we behind the curve here? Well, yeah, I mean, 
I, I, I remember on our first couple shows in 2013, Robert, we were talking about this concept. So this is a very old oh, sure. concept that people are treating as, oh, my God, HubSpot did an amazing thing. And they did. They should get credit for it. Not revolutionary if you've been in the business very long. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's it's it, I mean, look, it's 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 really happening now. And and one of the things we talked about you know, toward the end of last year, beginning of this year, was the idea that it was going to heat up and that the COVID and 2020 events really put a hurting on many media companies, not necessarily because the model was wrong, but because it was quite frankly, way more competitive, right? For, you know, for those, um, for those eyeballs and for those, uh, you know, for those that were leaning on advertising as a as a business model. And, you know, I think when you see someone like, uh, the hustle who has been steadily growing, you know, just, you know, almost despite everything that's happened, then you start to see the real rationale behind doing this because here's, here's, here's HubSpot making an investment which is truly what it was. They didn't just buy something that was making no money. They're, you know, now they may decide that revenue isn't worthy of what they want to do, and they may say, "Look, it's now free," or you know, they may keep the revenue model in place, or whatever they do. They may kill the trends product. They may not kill the trends product. There's all sorts of things that may or may not happen, but the opportunity there is to actually offset much of what they bought with the revenue that they that they're already generating. And when I look at it and the numbers, again, yes, you're right. We could talk about numbers all day. But when I look at the total revenue in 2019 of HubSpot was about 675 to $700 million, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you do the math and you go, all right, that's 4% of revenue that they spent on acquisition of a media company. Start doing that math with your own company and, you know, a big company, you know, in the durable space or in the consumer packaged goods space or, you know, fashion or, you know, wherever. And you start, it starts getting interesting um, because that's a meaningful number, right? You know, them acquire, you know, we're, we're used to big numbers because we hear, you know, Oracle's making an acquisition or Adobe's making an acquisition or Salesforce is making an acquisition. And those companies are, you know, billions of dollars, right? And so them making an acquisition that's big and splashy numbers, the numbers almost are meaningless. But this is a HubSpot's, you know, they're a, a medium-sized technology company. They're public, but they're but they're not, you know, they're not huge. And they're, that's a meaningful investment for them to make. And so that's the real that's the real lesson for me is when I look at that and I look at companies out there, and like you said, you know, CEOs are getting up this morning and saying, hey, where are the media companies I can buy? You know, they have to be looking at that number going, wow, okay. You know, that gets the attention of the board. It gets the attention of, you know, it's not just marketing people going, ah, let's buy a couple of people in a blog, right? This is a, it's a meaningful acquisition. And so that's the, that, to me, that's the real shift. It's, it's smart money, honestly. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you just, and by the way, you could also make a, and I agree with what you're saying, but you could make a contention, contention. Look at HubSpot. It's gone from last year. They were about a $5 billion market cap company. They're almost 20 billion now. It's almost a rounding error, error, Robert, 30 million bucks, 
is almost it's it's almost inconsequential. Well, it's, it, yeah, yes, I mean, it is. I mean, it's important because it's thirty million dollars, but you're talking about three Super Bowl ads. I mean, <laughs> seriously, right? For for access to a loyal audience of one point five people, plus to your point, they've got a a good product with the. Uh, with good ratings and trends that they could do something with. They could fold that and could call it HubSpot trends, call it, you know, whatever. And they're going to, at least according to Sam Parr, who is the CEO founder, he goes on a thread in Twitter, which was really, really interesting. I'll put it in the, in the show notes where he says he really bought into this thing because HubSpot's going to throw money at them to just build this thing out even bigger. Now that's what he says. I don't know if it's right, but they're going to say, go keep doing what you're doing. So I don't know what they're, what the overall goal of HubSpot, but I mean, pretty fantastic. Yeah, that's right. So. That's right. Yeah. And we can get into a fun debate about whether HubSpot is overvalued at $404 a share, but well, that's, that's, a, that's a different conversation. <laughs> what there, Look at, let's just do a side conversation here for, okay. Everyone listening here. We are we are undergoing major asset inflation right now. You think? <laughs> okay, everybody. I mean, even with the GameStop thing we talked about last yeah. week, and everybody's like, "What's the fundamentals of GameStop? What's the fundamentals of Tesla? What's the right? Th- these these <laughs> right. numbers are so far off the charts. There's no fundamentals going on in the stock market for the most part right now. I mean, that's right. If I were all meme stocks, if you yeah. want fundamentals, look at a stock like we talked about AT and T. Very reasonably priced company that hasn't done anything for five years for the stock market. You want something that's going to perform really well? Put, you know, look at Tesla, which is ungodly that they're whatever a half a half a trillion dollar company right now that's with right. the revenue they have. So whatever, right. there's just a lot of craziness going on. Stonks, stonks, yeah. <laughs> but the, the the thing that you have to keep in mind and why this. HubSpot, the hustle thing, is just going to take off. And we've said it many times, and it's worth saying again. These tech, mostly tech companies that have seen these major run-ups happen, they have so much free cash. So, And by the way, where are they going to put their cash? Are they going to put it in bonds like they would normally do? Are they going to put it in cash? Cash is like a melting ice cube right now. They can't put it in any of that. It's worthless. That's right. What are you going to do? Yep. Better throw it at a, at a media company like this, and we'll get a lot of ongoing value. That's a really good investment. It's just smart money. So yeah, it absolutely is. It's 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 what we in the marketing space might call working media. Mm-hmm. It is working media. That is that is absolutely the case. And um, yeah, I, I, it's top of mind for me because I've been working on a bit of a lesson workshop on that exact thing: media planning in the twenty first century. And that's uh, that's it. You it's re- working remember, media. It's- you remember when we were in Singapore talking with that the CMO of a major consumer products company? Do you yep. remember that meeting? That's right. And we yep, had this I totally remember that meeting. Well, you were, that was great. Fourteen, two thousand fourteen. That's right. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Yep. And of yeah. course, it sounded so novel and so risky at at that time to this yeah. CMO. And I'm just like, you know, God. Now it's it's all and- caught up. We're not right, even, and we were, even and, and at the time, I, I remember the time we were we were sitting there and we we're having tea. It was a beautiful place, and we're talking with him. And we said, "Look, it's going to be a rounding error for your marketing budget. It's you know, do one less flight 
you know, on broadcast media and you can go do buy this company. And he was truly surprised, right? Truly like that's the weirdest, strangest idea that he had heard of. Yeah. And it's, it's for having him and the team to wrap their heads around it. And that's why you and I have done many presentations about this. And the reason why it doesn't happen more is not because they're not risky and not because they don't have the money. It's because they don't think about it as even a possibility. It would, it never arose to this guy that that could happen. And we're like, it's because we even gave him a couple examples in his own company. It's already happening. You're just not seeing it. So anyways, here we go. We're not needed. My bump, my bumper sticker is owned. Media can be working media too. (laughs) There you go. All right. Moving along. Well, speaking of overvalued, companies and uh, how they look to draw revenue. Our next story here uh, coming from CNBC uh, and it's Clubhouse, uh, the hot, fantastically hot social network uh, Elon Musk just joined plans to make. I I love how they work that into the headline. It's just like, that's just the most ridiculous. It must be like 20% more clicks if you put Musk in a headline. That's right. It's you just got to figure it. That's exactly what it was. Then, you know, and some, I, I guarantee you, there was some editor went, Oh my God, it makes the headline run to three lines. What that's going to, you know, oh, and people went, No, you got to get Elon Musk in the headline. Anyway, <laughs> it's not the four, headline though. is it's not four. Yeah, not four. <laughs> it's not four. They did make it to four. Uh, Clubhouse, the social network that Elon Musk just joined, plans to make money through subscriptions. So this seems to be interesting. Uh, The article opens up by saying Clubhouse, the buzzy audio-only social app, is looking for ways to monetize the platform for its creators, CEO Paul Davison told CNBC on Monday. After debuting last year, Clubhouse is now valued at around $1 billion, with a B, dollars. dollars. Boy, that is just silly to me but all right you just i mean anyway and hosts more than two million users uh so let's just put that into perspective for a second i just before i read this article they have a million subscribers right this the hustle email newsletter 1.5 million yep right 1.5 million subscribers yes and are valued at 27 million let's say right but by by hubspot clubhouse has 2 million users, subscribers, and is now valued at $1 billion. I'm just, I'm, there's probably something in the middle. <laughs> I'm just going to suggest. Anyway. Well, the there is, is, yes, but there's precedent. And all you have to do is look at what happened with Instagram. When everyone said, oh my God, they had, what, they didn't have, the, they only had like a million users at Instagram at the time. When they sold for $1 billion and everybody said, Oh my God! Facebook's crazy for buying them for one billion. Well, shoot, so I know we're going to talk like about the, right. We're going to talk about this a little later in another story, and I want to make an argument against that okay, because it's. I think it's. I think it's different. I think Clubhouse is different, and people aren't seeing the difference. Okay. Um, anyway, the premise is relatively simple. Since there's no video, pictures, or text-based chat rooms, users will log into the app and be greeted with a few live virtual rooms where they can see a list of the people participating. If they click on the room, the audio switches on, and they can hear the conversation. Think of Clubhouse as an app for live, unfiltered podcasts. Uh, The app was most recently uh, seen a surge uh, on Monday when Tesla CEO Elon Musk joined the platform to discuss a range of topics. It's not said here in the story, but I will tell you that he basically broke Clubhouse when he did the thing. They, they it was so many people in the room that they had to set up a separate thing. Then they somebody started live streaming to YouTube. It was a whole 
it was a whole thing. Anyway, the article goes on then to explain, you know, some of their rationale. But the key is the way that the article ends. And it says, currently, there's no way for users to pay for content directly through the app. The platform itself is free and there's no advertisements or premium plan. Davison said Monday that Clubhouse plans on introducing some sort of model sooner rather than later. Um, and what we want to allow them to do is get money through subscriptions and ticketed events. So interesting model. What do you think? Well, first of all, I think we should mention that you and I and Michael mm. Stelzner yeah. are actually going to do our own little thing on Clubhouse. It's uh we're talking about the future of content marketing as part of Social Media Examiner's Club on Clubhouse. That's Saturday That's right. at noon, right? Saturday That's noon right. Eastern. Saturday noon Eastern time. So yeah. anyone's welcome to join. If you're on Clubhouse, go ahead, look us up, and we'll be on there. They've, they're actually letting us on the platform, which was surprising <laughs> that we were going to do that. Yeah. And we're trying. And you and I, we've been honest with, with our listeners yeah. here. We're not sure yet. I'm intrigued. I'm definitely not sure. I'm yeah. intrigued. I know I'm, you're not sure. I'm intrigued. We're going to give it a shot couple things I want to say about – I do want to hear your take, actually, about why it's a little bit different. But from the subscription model, I think that the subscription model can work really well with something like Clubhouse. Keep it more exclusive. You don't have to have 200 million members. And you see more and more business models moving away, of the, moving away from what Facebook did. You're getting a lot of – um, issues with Facebook and privacy and third-party data and all that kind of stuff. You, you, I mean, uh, you even brought up recently about the whole Apple privacy issue versus Facebook going on. I think that there's this movement towards subscription. I think what you're going to see is Clubhouse is really going to look at whether people want to pay a monthly subscription for something like this. I think they might, but I think that what you're going to see first happen, and it's so it'll, it'll it'll make room for what's going on in the Clubhouse is Twitter. And Scott Galloway, on, and you know I listen to the Prof G podcast all the time, he's been talking about Twitter transforming itself into a subscription plan program as soon as possible. I think that's going to happen in the next two years where certain people with certain numbers of followings will have to pay a subscription. And you're going to weed out a lot of undesirable things that go on. And, uh, and so I, I think there's a, there's a path there. I think there's a path. Um, well, we talked about this last week, right? I mean, with with Twitter's acquisition uh, of review. review, yeah, yeah, and and how they might look to create a subscription based kind of Patreon based, uh, you know, system where you could create stages and and have ticket sales and subscription sales and all kinds of things for you know for your audience on Twitter, you know, and and I think. It makes sense to me um, for Clubhouse to do this, especially um, uh, when we get to social uh, audio, which we'll talk about in just a bit. Um, you know, when I think about the differences of what Clubhouse really is um, as a social network, subscriptions and small, and I'll use that word in italics, is the critical piece there, right? It has to be, it's not Facebook, it's not Twitter. Right. And, and so it's like a thousand it, niche groups. Exactly. Million, right. Yeah. So going on simultaneously. this is yeah. this is a gap you could see other social media networks wanting to uh, fill. Right. So it would not surprise me to see quickly um, an acquisition of something or a copycat of Clubhouse come up quickly here 
um, and try and do something interesting with, you know, Facebook or someone who has sort of the, the broad, already has the broad audience and is quite frankly looking for, you know, the, um, the infrastructure or technology to make a clubhouse like um, experience work and be monetized. Watch out. You're with the copycats. Oh my goodness. You're going to see, Oh this. yeah. You're going to see in the next six months, five to 10 yeah. of these major for players sure. come out. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we talked about clubhouse last week too. Uh, I mean, they're in hockey stick mode right now. They, they had, what was it last June? They had in the thousands of members and now right. you've got 2 million, 3 million, 4 million. It's going up like crazy. So it's it's just, we'll see. They're going to have a lot of, uh, they're going to have a bumpy road ahead to figure out what it really is. But you can already see the hat. I mean, you have some people like you, you and I have both seen the discussions on Facebook where you have half the people are saying, this is stupid and I'm not doing it and I'm not spending time on another. And then you've got another half that are saying there's something here. There is really something here. So I guess the truth is somewhere in the middle, but I don't think it matters. It doesn't have to be for everyone. No. And that's the key is that it won't be, it won't be for everyone, right? It'll be, it's a, you know, clubhouse is definitely not the next Facebook. Let's put it that way. It's definitely not. Nor should it be, nor should it, nor should it be, nor should it be, nor can it be. Right. And so when I that's when I go back and look at evaluation like that, um, that says, you, yes, the price is in there to scale bigger, and you're saying Correct. the price is not there. Like you could see with an Instagram, the scaling of is off the chart. You can go from one million people on the platform to two hundred million. That's right. In a very quick, short period of time, with Clubhouse, you're saying that might not happen, and it's it harder to monetize. Happen. It, it that? can't happen. Yeah, it can't happen. That's the. The, the model preclude. Let's move to our next story and right, let's get let's into it. Right. Yeah. Because the next story is taking a broader look at the future of social audio. Startups roadmap business models and a forecast written by uh, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And Jeremiah is fantastic. Um, been around for a long time, written a couple of books, and he's just a very smart guy. And by the way, really spearheading the social audio thing. Like, talk about he in the, for the last six months, he has jumped in maybe more than anyone else I know from like an analyst portion, and he is he's everywhere when it comes to social audio. He's every he time really I, is, every yeah. time you put on Clubhouse, he seems to be. I don't know how he does it. He, he must have, yeah. he's just, he's, he, he has it's him and Stelzner, right? Him, <laughs> him and Stelzner, <laughs> him, him, Michael Stelzner. And, uh, and what's the other guy? Grant Cardone. Oh, Grant Cardone. Oh yeah. Right. He, <laughs> Jeremiah would not like that comparison. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm not clear. <laughs> I'm not comparing them as people. I'm just saying yeah. every time I go in there, Grant Cardone is doing something about when and Ed Nussbaum, it, oh. you know, good old Ed Nussbaum. <laughs> Oh, get me started on a rant okay, on Clubhouse. Ahead, All right. Okay, back to the article. All right. Uh, Jeremiah's blog post, which of course we'll link to in the show notes, is called The Future of Social Audio Startups, Roadmap, Business Models, and a Forecast. Just a, a must-read blog post, just fantastic, giving you sort of a landscape of the social audio space. And the his blog opens up by saying, this market forecast includes an overview, predictions of the rapidly growing social audio market. He's been a technology industry analyst in relevant markets like social media and sharing economy for more than a decade. 
he goes on to describe what is social audio um, and real-time voice conversations with social features, he says, right? If you were familiar with party lines four decades ago, you remember how friends and strangers could dial up to audio-based conversations regardless of location. In 2021, instead of landline phones, quarantine-limited users are downloading apps for real-time conversations with friends and family. The visual interfaces may vary from emoticons to text chat, integration to avatar integration. Modern app versions contain social graphs, groups, and other social networking features you find in popular tools like Facebook, Messenger, WhatsApp, etc. Why it matters, he says, the Goldilocks medium. He says, I call this the Goldilocks medium for the 2020s. Text is not enough and video is too much. Social audio is just right. It represents the opportunity for social connection and empathy without the downsides of video. He then goes on to talk about the experiences and the explosive growth, basically illustrating Joe's hockey stick, as we just talked about. He lists out a bunch of social audio companies. Um, he talks about the roadmap um, of how these conversations and the different types of platforms that are being done. He talks about the business models. It's just, I mean, it's like, it's 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 a social audio workshop in one blog post. It's just a fantastic yeah. thing and um, a nice tee up of our conversation. So what do you think? I mean, I've obviously I've, I've been delaying till this to give you my take on Clubhouse, but what do you what do you think about all this? Well, the we we've wondered when audio was going to catch up, and I think we're we're getting to that point now. You've got a lot of VC money coming into the space. Uh, we've seen what's happened with podcasting. It's sort of I mean, podcasting is twenty years old now plus. Right. And we still don't seem like we have good search. And we. it seems like now we're getting to a point where people are paying attention. I've always loved audio because it's the, the only uh, type of medium where you can multitask. It's just, so here you go. Now we're into social audio. You've got, at least according to Jeremiah, 20 plus companies. I think he continues to add to this list that are involved here. This is just going to get crazy wild, wild west in the next few. I think the... The important thing, like for if you're a content creator, I think the issue is it's tough to start on an audio platform if you don't have an audience already. So if I was going to say, okay, you're a content creator, you're a content entrepreneur, what do you want to do? Um, you you almost want to go somewhere else first and build your get your newsletter get your YouTube audience, get whatever, get, get that first. And then you can move them over. And, and even Michael Stelzner said this a couple of, it's just, it's harder. You know, you almost have to tweet it out and you have to put it on Facebook that you're going to be on clubhouse. So those things haven't been figured out yet. Uh, but the, there's, there's definitely a lot of power in what's going on in social audio. And, you know, I, I like the whole aspect of what's going to happen with podcasting when it comes to social audio. And even Jeremiah brings up, you know, you can start recording some of these things that happen on, let's say, a clubhouse, and those actually become archived podcasts for you. I don't know. It, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, what's your take? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that the, the ultimate answer is, as you just said, nobody knows, right? Um, and And how people start to change the way you know because let's let's not forget that twitter in its early days was very different than what we see twitter as today yeah um <clears throat> same with facebook same with instagram same with, you know so they all start out doing something and then start to lean into where people start taking the platform so all of that is you know obviously subject to to change 
the difference, uh, you know, and 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 what I've been thinking about because as I think about what was, you know, what bothers me and bothers me is not the right word, but you know, what what sort of like just this little, you know, in the princess and the pea thing, right? I'm just sort of like sitting there is the difference between a clubhouse and this social audio idea and the the social networks that we're all familiar with and now as a culture trained on. And the real difference as I start to look at it is the difference between uh, the content creator class and the content consumer class. So the real difference here is that if you look at Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, what you do is you're, you join that to become part of the content creator class. And what I mean by that is, is that the percentage of people who actually create stuff on these platforms is relatively high. And it may not be, it's certainly not 100%. And there are certainly people who never post, you know, who are on Twitter but never post to Twitter or who are on Facebook and never post to Facebook. But it's pretty low, right? It's the, the number of people. And the foundation of that is that you follow people who are creating the same stuff that you want to consume, right? In other words, I follow my colleagues uh, on LinkedIn. I follow, you know, competitors. I follow uh, my friends uh, on Facebook. I follow my friends, my family, because these are people that I've connected with and generally create the content that I want to see in my feed, right? That's Mm -hmm. how the algorithm pretty much works. And so that becomes your experience. In other words... I'm not getting the content necessarily that you're interested in consuming, Joe. What I get is the content that you create. And that becomes my experience on the platform. So I use the example in someone else I was telling this to of some of my high school friends who consume, let's just be really clear, they consume very different content that I'm interested in. and But I don't see that because what they publish and what they what they publish on the platform is stuff that we connected on our high school friends our you know our football team shared things and all those kinds of things clubhouse is different you you basically follow what you follow in other words i'm following your content interests not your uh not not you as a creator because the creator class is so small on clubhouse the number of people who are actually starting rooms and speak and actually talk are actually very small, very, very small compared to the consumer class who sit in the audience and listen, yeah. right? It's, it, and, and so what I'm following, and I've already started to see this because what I'm seeing on my social media is, oh, I'm already, I'm already pruning my friend list. Right. I'm pruning my friend list because there's just, you know, they're going in and listening to millionaires on acid and they're, you know, they're listening to, you know, how to be a billionaire from a zillionaire, you know, and all this, the the crap content that you don't want, but it's what your friends are consuming. So it's what you are seeing in your feed. So in other words, I follow you. I'm not seeing what you create. I'm seeing what you, what you attend. And then this app is suggesting, well, you you know, it's your friend, so you should be interested in it too. Throwing up, bit, isn't throwing up Bitcoin? Exactly, right. <laughs> That's exactly what which, you're seeing. <laughs> right. I, I go to I go to I go to my app now, and I see, oh, Joe is attending Bitcoin, blah blah blah. Wouldn't you like to join? And I'm like, no, I don't give a shit about that. You know, so, <laughs> so that's the difference. That's the real difference. So you start molding your. What's going to happen is is you're going to start molding your quote unquote friend list 
by the content they consume rather than the content that they create. It's a very subtle but I think important difference because what it means is that it will continue to separate, I believe, the content creator class from the content consumer class on this kind of platform. So what you end up with is a lot of performers and maybe a big audience, right? So it becomes very niche. I could very easily see Clubhouse becoming sort of the, you know, the place where you go and watch people talk about business or or listen to rather, or the place where you go in politics or maybe a few different topics, but it becomes very organized. The subscription becomes very organized around topics rather than the the sort of democratized platform of something like a Facebook or a Twitter or a LinkedIn. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're saying it's it's the audio representation of physical events. That's right. That's well. That's exactly what it is. And and Tom Webster actually had a great take on this. Is he wrote a long Facebook post around this idea, which is it becomes sort of a a, a centralized sort of clearinghouse of events, right? Where you where and by the way, just to the point, you know, Michael and and us were sharing on our social networks. Hey, come see us on Clubhouse. Come see us on. You know, we might as well be saying, come see us on YouTube or come see us on. Facebook or come see us on, you know, uh, some other live performing thing. But guess what? It's going to be gone, right? It'll be gone tomorrow. You know, there's no archive of it. It'll, unless we record it on some other platform, it'll be gone once it's gone. So I think that, that model to me is flawed, but I'm just some chucklehead, right? I, 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 you know, I could be totally wrong on this and probably am totally wrong on this. But to me right now, the thing that just sticks with me is is that the model is flawed. Yeah, I think it's to to your point about Twitter before Clubhouse is not done it being what it's supposed to be. We don't really know yet. We have an inkling of it. That's right. I think your point about the con- consumers versus the creators is very important and very true. You're going to have the 1% that are going to create all the content for very, very much different than it's maybe it's similar to Twitter, more similar to Twitter than to Facebook. seems like everybody creates content on Facebook on Twitter. You have a lot more lurkers, I think, but you have lurkers on Facebook too. It just seems you, you and And I, I, you and I both know there's a number of people that are on clubhouse that are never going to say anything. That's right. And I listen, which is nothing wrong. That's right. No, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Well, and I also don't believe you know, I've seen some theories that, well, it could become the place where clubs create, you know, you create your garden club or your card club or your, you know, your football, you know, fan club and you all gather and it's like private groups, right? Where you have sort of a private party line of people getting together, maybe, but there's too many other technologies that are already well-worn in that space to, to, to do that, right? I mean, I can literally just get everybody on a Zoom call once a week, right? There's no reason I have to have you know, a, a, a special platform. I, I don't believe it can grow in that way. I think it has to grow in the one-to-many way, which is sort of the performance of shows, the performance of, you know, speakers. And subscriptions would be a great model for that, right, in terms of the, the way they can monetize it. There is a lot of advantage, though. That's why I'm intrigued by the subscription model to keep it tight so it doesn't get out of hand. But maybe... To your to the other point is if you're only following certain things, it never gets unwielding because right. you're well, just if it going stays to small, choose. right? 
Yeah, that's that's my that's that's my take is that if it stays small, it becomes a lot more valuable. You know what I mean? It in all it's almost <clears throat> it's more valuable the more exclusive it becomes. You know, it's 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 the more protected it is, the more valuable it is. You know, the the big buzz by the way of, you know, the initial sort of ooh, did you get an invite is because quite frankly, well, Oprah was there and, you know, smart uh, strategy. You know, yeah, really yeah, smart. strategy. The celebrities were there and, ooh, you might be in a room with Elon Musk, right? Ooh, that's fan. That's exciting. You know, who cares? You're in a room with Elon Musk. You know, you're still just listening to the dude as you would on any radio show or any, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it, there's, there was a perception of intimacy that I think is created that I don't believe is actually there. And so we'll see if they can create that. I see where you're going. Yeah, the I'm, only, I'm, yeah. Anyway, I'm the skeptical, only thing is, I guess is, that is my point. Audio content is more intimate. It totally. I absolutely so agree. So right off the bat, it's more intimate. And we know that because <clears throat> how many times have you and I shared the story of before we had the podcast, everybody was saying, Love the book, Robert. Love the love content marketing world, love all that. And then we started the podcast. Everyone was like, they weren't talking about anything else. It was just the podcast, and everyone knows everything about us to sometimes a fault. And it is more intimate, I think, for the people listening. It is, but the, it, it's to me, it's not any more intimate than a podcast. Yeah, I would agree with you. That. Know what I, you know what I'm saying? So, so, in other words, listening to Elon Musk give a talk at 7 a.m. my time on a Saturday morning isn't any more, and in fact, it's less compelling to me than subscribing to an Elon Musk podcast that I demand that I consume on my own time. And to me, that's the that's the, that's the real difference here is that it I don't see the I don't I don't see this model, especially with the content disappearing as it does. You know, I get why they do it because it makes it event. You know, you and I have learned this lesson so many times that making things event driven um, drives more. You know, it actually drives more demand, yeah. right? You know, if you if there's a FOMO aspect to this that is absolutely um, there, and I think that's what's driving a lot of the hype right now is the FOMO, um, and and so I can't see that la- once it becomes available to everyone and there is no FOMO. I, I, I think the, the I think the thing goes away. I, I think the the desire sort of fades. It's like you know, to use your other metaphor that you used a, a few minutes ago. It's a melting ice cube, right? It just I don't care anymore. It should be interesting. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting nonetheless for I, sure. Well, I, it's funny because our our mutual friend Brian Clark said, you know, he got the invite and he said, I gave it twenty four hours. I'm going to spend I'm going to spend time on Twitter and the other things I'm already into. So it's just right. and and that's what you're getting, right? Somebody's going in, they're checking it out, and they're like, "Yes, no, you know, you and I are both in the middle. We're going to give it a shot. It's kind of our responsibility to, so we can at least say that we've done some stuff on it and talk yeah. about it here. But that's right. Who knows? Yeah, jury's out. I'm, I'll put it this way: it excites me. <laughs> I, I, I I I think I mentioned this last week, but. Clubhouse excites me more than Snapchat did when it, because I didn't even bother with Snapchat. I yeah. was like, oh, can't just go away. Um, 
Get off but my it, lawn. It, get off my yard. Snapchat. Right. But it but it intrigues me less than when I first discovered Twitter. When I first discovered Twitter, I went, This is good this is this is something. This is this is gonna change things. And you know, so so that so yeah, that's my gut. So you're right saying now. that that Clubhouse it's somewhere might, between Twitter and Snapchat. Clubhouse might be Friendster. <laughs> is that what yeah. you're saying? <laughs> yeah, you are. It might yeah. be. Yeah. I or Vine. Know. Yeah. Yeah. MySpace. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Or what was the one that Elo or whatever or oh, Emo? Hello, Elo. Hello. Yeah. Was yeah. it Elo? I thought it was Elo. I still get messages on that damn is thing. It still I still get like wrong? the it is still but there. But it's so it's funny, like, us marketers, we all go run to it. Got to get your yeah. name. Got to whatever. And then yeah, then it's like I don't remember having that account. So yeah, and there's like this big like, ooh, did you get your real name? Did you get your without any dashes or underscores or anything? And it's like yeah. <laughs> You know, so I don't become Robert seven five seven three or something. You know no, you I mean? took it's out like, the real Sean Connery. I thought you. That's right. Out. That's right. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, it is now time for us to move into your favorite and empirically proven part of the show, which is, of course, our rants and raves section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we got a good night's sleep on a my pillow, or makes us feel like we've. <laughs> been silenced we've been silenced joe we've been we've been suppressed oh they, my gosh we, we had have you seen that clip have you seen have you face? seen that clip by the way what? have you seen that clip that's going around of the my pillow ceo no i have not seen uh, it's it's pretty thing. good it's it's pretty good fun yeah is it really is he yeah, complaining it's pre- well what happens is it's newsmax so um, you know is it think real, of newsmax what, what you will oh it's totally real oh, it is, oh it's absolutely a lot of the yeah, newsmax, new- well a lot of the newsmax stuff i've heard they, you know, they, they do some, some editing to video. Yes. Sometimes it's well, not really. It's, it's, a, it's basically, a, it's, it, they interviewed this CEO of MyPillow, the guy, right? Yeah. And he's on, and the idea is, is that they're going to interview him on cancel culture. And so, this, you know, there's the two hosts of Newsbacks and him. And they basically, they start to open up with, you know, well, what do you think about cancel culture or something very innocuous like that? And he just goes off on voting machines and, you know, and how the the election was stolen and the whole, I mean, he's just got, I mean, he's just literally like it's fire hose coming out of his mouth. Okay. I mean, it's just, I better check it out. And they're trying to get him to stop because of course they're being sued right now by Dominion, the maker of the voting machines. And they have, you know, admitted. And so the news host literally is speaking over him, reading copy like, Newsmax does not condone or he's like, he's basically, he's basically reading this stuff going, you know, we do not condone. We do accept that the election was fair. He's just like reading this legalese thing. And finally he just gets so fed up. The news, the host of the show just gets up and walks out. He just leaves. He just leaves the whole thing. It's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty good comedy oh is what it gosh. is. That's so is um, it, it's worth checking out. Should I, or maybe I'm, it's, it's worth a good, yeah, it's worth a 30 second. Laugh. Okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. Um, so, you would you like to go first? Would you like me to go first? Uh, yeah, what, what I, we I'm here? happy to go first. I know you might have a take on this one. Um, so this Actually, why don't I go first? Because I know I do have a take. Oh. And mine is really short. Okay, you go first. And so, and so that way we got the whole rest of the show to, to deal with yours, because yours is totally fun. Yours okay. is way more fun than mine. All right, let's do yours. Okay. 
So mine is, uh, you may have seen this, um, this, uh, the, the article, although there are a bunch of news outlets talking about it, um, we'll link to is from Inc. Um, and the headline is Tim Cook may have just ended Facebook. Um, and it's basically all of the news articles are covering sort of Apple and Facebook really becoming like, you know, the worst of enemies here. And basically they, they quote, and this is what's making all the news articles is a recent speech that Tim Cook made while he was, uh, Brussels marketing international data privacy day, which who knew Tim Cook would keynote such a thing, but he did. Um, and basically his speech you know, I won't read you the whole thing. You can go to the article and check it out. But basically his speech is like, you know, as he opens up and says, if a business is built on misleading users on data exploitation on choices that are not choices at all, then it does not deserve our praise. It deserves reform. It's very clear through his whole speech that he's talking about Facebook. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it makes it even clearer that he never mentions Facebook by name. Um, and so... The interesting thing to me is I've been watching this for a happen because, you know, as I'm I'm, we're really focused and and putting a lot of uh, of emphasis on research in the whole data, privacy, GDPR, all that stuff um, of issues, how far Apple is really going with the new iOS release, with new Safari releases, with, you know, what they're doing from a hardware perspective on and, and what they're doing, quite frankly, as regulations in the App Store, which is what Fagat's Facebook all upset in terms of starting to provide some transparency in how your data is being used or misused by those applications. And, of course, Facebook is all in a tizzy about this because that's how it makes its money is by targeting ads to you on the mobile devices. It's a bit rich, <clears throat> I have to say, for... Tim Cook to be up there talking about data privacy, which of course they can do with some authority, and at the same time be preventing anybody from fixing their iPhone or you know repairing their you know their Macintosh computer and making it impossible and sort of locking you into a hardware jail as they talk about how you know some software companies are locking you into a software jail. Yep. But I'll 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 put that to the side for the moment. I just wanted it's more a commentary than a rant or a rave, which is this is something you need to be paying attention to as a marketer, because as we start to separate this whole idea of access to data, this is going to become a big thing for those of you and companies that are developing apps that are developing websites that rely on other elements of data to do things like personalization and to think about things like targeted content to be able to get deliverability of your content to anyone on a mobile device. And I think we want to applaud what Apple is doing here from a software perspective, if, you know, putting aside the hardware issue for a moment, and look to this and start to really lean into our capabilities to acquire that first-party data in a good way. And what I mean by that is, is that if we start thinking about all these things we've just been talking about, the acquisition of data, media companies that give us first-party data, all of these things are legit, right? They're legit reasons to have first-party data and use them to our advantage in marketing. And looking at the days of Facebook and Google and all of those sort of surveillance-based marketing, as it were, I think are is going, now that we're in a new year, 
we start to come out of this COVID thing, I think this is going to become a really prominent issue this year. So it's one that we all need to pay attention to. So I, I just, I call it to that. I totally agree. I got a couple takes off of this. One, it's very clear, as you mentioned, that Apple is, uh, is drawing, they're drawing battle lines. Yes, for sure. Against Facebook. And they're going to be the privacy kings and Facebook, of course, you know, where they stand on privacy. But at the same time, and you made this point as well. You've got Apple and Google who are the big brother gatekeepers for all these apps. And so you can see that Apple's pushing the whole privacy, but at the same time, they have the ability to limit. That's right. So it's, it's, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a bold move. I totally think that it's a great move on Apple's part because, to your point, they actually have a leg to stand on. When it comes to privacy, I mean, people would say if you put, if you put all if you have Microsoft and Amazon and all the other Fang stocks up there, you'd say who's the one that leads in privacy? People would probably say Apple. Yeah, that's right. And the key is, and you make a really great point here, is that watch what they do, right? Not necessarily what they say, because you know, look to your point, Apple is collecting just as much data, right? It's how they're actually utilizing it that's Im- important here and creating these walled gardens, these sort of you know ecosystems um, that you stay within is obviously all of their goals. And so you know an article that we didn't cover in this show, but we probably could have, is Google's plans you know with regard to third party cookies and how they're going to be replacing all of that. Yeah, it basically means that, you know, if you're a marketer or an advertiser or something like that and you want that data, you're, you're, you're going to be able to get it as long as you're in the Google system, right? You advertise with Google, you are a Google client, you know, you're going to be able to get it, you know, within within the Google system. And that, you know, it's, it's, it's a very subtle but important difference to say, you know, where is that data coming from and who is it that's giving it to you? And you can see Google and Apple both sort of throwing up walls, right? They're going to throw up the walls of the castle and say, come on in. But once you're in, you know, it's like Hotel California. You can check in anytime you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> no, great one. That's, it. that's, that's yeah. going to be super interesting. All right. So mine comes from the Columbia Journalism Review. And the title is Andreessen Horowitz, a Silicon Valley venture capital behemoth, plans to eat the media. Um, I have a couple takes on this. It's probably a rave and a rant, and I'm going to talk out both, but I definitely want to get your take on it. First of all, I, I've read a number of things. I've listened to a number of podcasts from Andreessen Horowitz. Some of them are good. Some of them I don't like and don't agree with. Beside that point, they've done a fairly good job in building audiences and giving a lot of their uh, companies in their portfolio a lot of air cover and a lot of attention. And they've done it themselves without having to go through the, you know, quote unquote, the media. So from that standpoint, I like this. They're taking another step in. They've hired, um, what's her name? Former Wall Street Journal, Maggie Lung, Lung, former journalist from the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal is going to serve as their new executive editor. Uh, they, the company says they plan on becoming a standalone media entity. All that stuff is good. We've talked about it before. Not a surprise. They've been doing this for a while. What I don't like and what my rant is, 
is that this article could have been written 10 years ago. And the way that I feel that they're coming at it is almost scoffing at the idea that anyone, not just Andreessen Horowitz, but anyone would think about doing this over and above what they say in this is just, oh, creating their own editorial content. I'm going to read this because it's interesting the way they say uh, Many companies, including a number of venture capital firms, produce their own editorial content, a way of promoting the companies they have invested in and also of marketing the insights of their founders so that others will come to them for financing. This is that's belittling what they're trying to do and making very, very small work of what what is a very important thing that I think is going on here. So that's that one area. I want to read this last area because I just, I don't know where to put it. So you maybe you can decide, Robert. It's, it talks about, uh, last paragraph, the company publishes op-eds from the usual suspects in tech about how revolutionary their cryptocurrency-powered food replacements are. The impact it will have on the broader media landscape is probably minimal. And it goes on and on and says BS like that. I, I get it. They're coming at it from a journalistic standpoint. <laughs> well, right, exactly. They, they, you know, they don't have any dog in this fight. Right? I get hmm. it, but this is not yeah. a. This is not a. This is a clear bias within an article that's supposed to be a journalistic piece, <laughs> right? So they are doing exactly what they're saying that Andreessen Horowitz does. <laughs> exactly. It's just on the opposite end. Yeah. Yes, so yes, anyway, pot meat my, kettle. Yeah. <laughs> that's my that's my rant with it. It's just like, look, if you're going to report the news that they're trying to be, be the media or whatever, and they're they're hiring really smart people, that is happening more and more. Great, talk about that. But I don't think you need to downplay it and say, ah, it's probably not going to work, and ah, who's really going to care? And ah, I wish they should just go through traditional journalistic entities like all good companies do. Pat on the head, you know? Yes, that's right. That's my. That's my. Tip. That's right. Well, I'll give you. I'll give you a quick one because it's. It's ours is related. That you know, and as usual, we don't talk about these before the show. But it's. It's funny how it, it dovetails and segues nicely, because to me, um, just right off your point, right, which is yes, this article could have written, should have been written ten years ago. Um, but the fat. What fascinated me was, so it, it's almost like they the. the Either the Columbia Journalism Review just discovered this and oh, there's gambling going on in the casino. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. you know, That's exactly cre- right. Yeah. People are creating content, oh a- editorial content. We're, we're, we're shocked and dismayed at the whole situation. Um, and to, so that's either genuine or uh, a bit cynical. And either way, they've got, cro- you know, whatever it is, they should be eating some crow on it, right? Um, What it says to me is a very interesting sort of tie back to something we talked about when we talked about the Edelman Trust Barometer. Um, It was either last week or the week before. And we found that business was the only trusted institution at the moment, right? So media, NGOs, and government are all below the line when when it comes to competence and trustworthiness from the consumer standpoint. And we've felt this, we've seen it, you know, all of all of the above with the with where we are. So, but the other thing is is that one of the things that they discovered of course was the expectation now of consumers is that business will take this leadership role in terms of delivering us information on uh, social issues. So to me, 
this is the personification or the you know the the quintessential example of this, right? This is a VC firm looking to produce news about technology and what it's doing in you know what like the example they use, the future of biotech and healthcare, and wants to get that information out there, biased or otherwise, quite frankly, and is taking that responsibility. Now, the who behind it is going to have issues, right? Do we trust them? Do we not trust them? Does their audience trust them? Whatever. Guess what? You know, so 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 my my take on this is I, you know, when I look at the, you know, the Columbia Journalism Review going, yeah, it, it it's there are is gambling going on in and what are you going to do about it? What, you know, what what are you going to do about it to recreate and or to build trust with an audience so that either brand journalism or content marketing is, you know, you're competing with it or to build the trust with your audience so that you can actually play in the same level playing field. Cause it's going to happen. This is not, you know, this is not, you know, our going all the way back to our first story. This is exactly why HubSpot buys the hustle yep. is because of the engagement and attention and trust that they've been able to build with that audience. And, that you know, the only difference here is that Andreessen Horowitz is building it rather than buying it, and that's it. That's it. So, you know, guess what? It's you know, warning or not, this is going on, and and you you so you better get good at it. It's it's you're so right, and I just wrote this down. If you have a media company, and you create media revenues from that, versus you have a media company and you create product revenues from that, it's no competition. That's right. You will you if you're a media company of media revenues, you will not be able to compete. There's just the, Andreessen Horowitz has an unlimited pile of cash. They can eat the media if they wish to eat the media. I hate to say it that way. Yeah, of course but, they can. But they, if they so, choose to. Yeah. So that's what I would like to see. Anderson Horowitz, who can pretty much do whatever they want because they have billions of dollars, decides that they're going to dominate media too. And of course, they probably are. So that's 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 the key here, right? Is like when we're all media companies and you look to, you know, manage the supply and the demand, you know, I was watching, you know, I was I was literally watching a, a news story last night where they were talking about, you know, the whole GameStop thing. And how back in the 90s, I think it was, Goldman Sachs um, basically bought up all the uh, uh, aluminum and basically made aluminum uh, a, you know, a premium commodity because they controlled the market on it. And so no matter how much demand there was, they would only release a little bit amount to drive up the price. So it's the same thing that's going on with GameStop right now, but it was being driven by Goldman Sachs. With a with a with a company the size of Andreessen Horowitz and with the amount of money that they have, if if they decide to tomorrow, they can become a you know a, an incredibly large and well funded media operation um, that rivals anything that we're getting from Fox News, CBS News, CNBC, MSNBC, et cetera, et cetera. Could rival any of those. They could probably acquire all of them, right? And the real key is great. But who's out there getting trust in the audiences? And this is the, it's not that we are lost. It's not that we are, that everything's, you know, oh, we can't do it. It's we need to get together as, you know, and build trust with our audiences. We, we need to get good at it too. We, 
we are all media companies. It's just that some companies all we are saying is give content a chance. (laughs) It's happening. It's happening, sweetheart. It's It's happening. happening. It's happening. Um, What do you got this week? Oh yeah, I'll watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'll watch Old Man Brady. There we go. Do his little diddly dance out there with Rob Gronkowski. (laughs) So we'll we'll see what happens. I hope it's a good game. Brady's diddly dance. I I will watch. I will watch commercials that people spent way too much money for, and they probably will not be very good. Yeah. that's it. I'm Here looking forward to it. I'm I'm doing I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm looking forward to Sunday and sitting back, having some nachos, watching football, just you know, being entertained for three and a half hours. I'm I'm very much looking forward to oh, it. Oh, you love the commercials too. So I do too. I love the commercials. I love every I love everything about the 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 pomp and circumstance of the Super Bowl. So you know, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun day. All right, it should be all right. Should be good. Well, that is it, ladies and gentlemen. We are signing off. And if you want to get all, and I mean all, hashtag all the goodness of this podcast show notes or dive into any of the other 250, I guess, 256 episodes. Yeah. Yep. Just head on over, won't you, to our shiny brand new website, thisoldmarketing.site. We want to thank the good folks at Radix. They are Wonderful, wonderful folks if you need domains or anything like that. And they power our thisoldmarketing.site, and we thank them for doing that. So until we meet again, ladies and gentlemen, just remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.